0: Welcome to Excel's Transformations, a podcast for intense people. My name is Imi, and I'm here with you on a journey. Hi everyone, I'm really excited about today's episode. Today we have Jungian Analyst Gary Trosclair. We talk about what he calls the Driven Personality and what is clinically known as Obsessive Compulsive Personality Disorder, OCPD. I absolutely love how Gary highlights the positive aspects of driven personality. In his words, a healthily compulsive person can use their natural disposition in service of love, compassion, and the greater good. Even if we struggle with tendencies of being overly driven and perfectionistic, we can transform this trait and use it for the good. We discussed many things, including the differences between OCPD and OCD, how drivenness fits into the Jungian's hero's journey, and what many therapy models may be missing when it comes to the driven personality. Now to Gary. Okay. Hi, Gary. Thank you so much.
1: Good morning, Amy. Very happy to be here and talking to you.
0: Oh my God. Yes, I am very, very delighted to have you. I came across your work and your book a while ago, and I thought, gosh, you touch on a subject that I am familiar with. Um, I have Mm-hmm. Well, I have close family members who struggle with what you write about, and I absolutely yes, am seeing it increasingly mm-hmm. more and more in my clients. So I thought, gosh, I would really love to have yeah. you and your input on this.
1: Well, thank you for doing that, because it feels to me like it's a topic that's really been neglected mm-hmm. and misunderstood, uh, as we might talk about later, confused with OCD. But also, it's something that that's so uh, except in our culture, we don't understand oh, the I downsides. I completely
2: agree.
0: I think our society perpetuates the myth um, of drivenness. Actually, we haven't told our audience what we are going to talk about. Um, why don't okay. you tell okay. us what, your, what our subject matter is and how you would phrase it?
1: Okay. Uh, so we're going to be talking today about obsessive compulsive mm. personality disorder. Uh, I also refer to it as the driven personality at times. Now, this is different from Absolutely, obsessive-compulsive yeah. disorder, which we'll get to later. Um, but this is a personality disorder, which is one of the most prevalent personality disorders in our culture. Yet, it's probably the least misunderstood, mm-hmm. the, the least understood. And part of my goal with the healthy compulsive project which is the title of my book and the title of my blog is to take the disorder out of it and help people to understand what the positive potential Mm. is that underlies Mm. this personality pattern because it's not necessarily a bad pattern this um, well I I should give some uh, description of what this personality pattern is it's a personality pattern that that's um, characterized by control orderliness and perfection. And you you see it in people because they've got lots of rules. They've got lots of lists. Things have to be in schedule. They have to be a certain way. They're overly conscientious. They're far too worried about work. Often uh, they, they leave out relationships. They leave out leisure. Um, and it's a yeah. very deep-seated pattern. It's not just like obsessive-compulsive disorder, mm. which is just about specific compulsions and obsessions. Yeah, this affects. Yeah, OCD, which is OCD, very prefer- yes. you
0: know our culture talks about it a lot, and that in itself is actually very misunderstood. I know you know, have another episode about OCD itself. I do really want our audience to know that what we're talking about today is not OCD. It's OCPD, which is something different. And I absolutely love the title of your book and the fact that you try to depathologize something that is so human and it's so understandable that we have developed this trait or coping or style. Mm.
1: Uh Yeah, the way I think of it, it's like these personality traits can either be very positive and healthy, or very unhealthy and negative, uh, maladaptive. It's just like water and ice. It's the same material. But in the unhealthy compulsive, Mm. it's frozen, it's rigid, it can't move, it can't flow, it can't be like the Tao. But all of these traits that are at the bottom of OCPD can be very adaptive. In fact, I think that a lot of the great leadership and great work that and creativity that gets done in the world is often done Absolutely. by people who are driven and who have yeah. compulsive um, uh, compulsive characteristics. So mm. it's all potentially positive. But what we need to do is help people to be aware of it so that they can use that very energy to make their compulsive traits to be adaptive and healthy. Are you aware
0: healthy? of a trait called over
1: Yes, I have heard of it, and that certainly would be mm. one characteristic mm. of it. Um, that's why I've been using the the word, uh, the, the uh, metaphor of being driven. One can be driven in a sense of i got lots lots of energy and, and, and uh, I want to move forward. But it can also have the sense of being over-controlled and driven by something else, by uh, something I'm not aware of. Carl Jung would use the phrase, uh, over-controlled mm-hmm. might be a complex. It's something that's driving me rather than me consciously driving. So and actually, driver, to fill so. our
0: audience in as well, one of the reasons I, I would love to have you on is I know that your perspective is jung which is an approach that uh, you know, is really mm-hmm. close to my heart. When I talk about over-control, um, it's th- there's now some new you know people doing something called radically open dialectic behavioral therapy. You have heard of it? Yeah, so right. I think in, yeah. in mm-hmm. that round, yeah. they're doing a lot of work around that trait called over-control. But when I look at your work, I think you take a slightly different mm-hmm. angle.
2: Um,
1: yeah, I, I think it's much... Uh, <laughs> much larger the, the way i conceive of this personality style it's not just about controlling it's a, about moving yes you forward. have that
0: element of drivenness uh, to it, it. it's, it's uh, not just about inhibition which is more yeah. what the trait over control is about yeah
1: yeah and you know i i've read some of that that work on uh radically he, open yeah. uh dbt Um, i think some of it can be positive but my concern is that some of the methods and some of the approaches to deal with this miss the central point of going back and understanding what's at the bottom of these urges that feel so irresistible these Mm -hmm. urges are not necessarily bad i mean a lot of the great creative work is that's done in the world is done because people have irresistible urges and thank goodness they didn't Mm -hmm. ignore them you know Problem is, if these urges get hijacked by a need to prove ourselves, to prove our goodness, to prove our worthiness, our lovableness, that's when the water gets frozen. That's when we get desperate, when we get rigid, and we say things have to be a certain way. Um, The difference between a healthy compulsive and an unhealthy compulsive is that the healthy compulsive uses their their natural disposition, their oh. talents for achievement and for drive in service of love and compassion and the greater good. And they do it consciously. The unhealthy compulsive has that energy and those inclinations. They, those are hijacked to prove to themselves oh. and to the oh. world that they're okay. Uh, so the healthy compulsive is motivated um, by by love, the only healthy compulsive is, is motivated by I, Two dread. things I want
0: to comment on. One is, gosh, it's so hard to draw a fine line between the two. Because even in myself, I can see both. I can yeah. see the healthy drivenness. And obviously, yeah. there are mm-hmm. days where it taps into the unhealthy side. Um, so it's not one way or the other. Yes. Uh-huh. And the other thing is, I really love you used, the fact yep. that you used the word, the word hijacked. Um, hijacked. Because it's, yeah. it's like yeah. we're being taken over by something bigger than us. And I think a lot of pathology and creativity, yeah. both good and bad, can often feel like that. Like there's an inner force or an external yeah. force that's just we, we
2: just can't name.
1: Yeah. And it's a shame that it does get hijacked because it can be a very destructive personality pattern. Uh, I mean, I get a lot of correspondence from people whose partners have OCPD. And it can break up families. But I think even worse, all the, the potential benefit that our society would get from people who are driven, where the drive gets mm. hijacked or usurped into less uh, less productive. Actually, I, wonder,
0: I wonder if we, we should actually go back to the drawing board, because we have excitedly dived in. But maybe we need to tell our audience what OCPD is, and maybe according to the, both according to the DSM and what it looks like in real life and your definition of it.
1: Okay, sure. So, OCPD is a personality disorder. That is, it's a pervasive pattern of of character and behavior and feelings uh, that's present throughout one's life, usually starting in late adolescence and early twenties. The definition the of PD has to be. so that's what. A, hmm. Yeah, yeah. And there, there are 10 different personality disorders. This is the Oh, most is it? I thought it's... Um,
0: I heard the other day, because obviously the one that's most talked about is obviously a borderline, but you're right, a lot of cluster C
1: yeah.
0: PD has been neglected for some reason, both clinically and in the wider world. And, but, but, but I thought avoidance yeah. is the one that's the most prevalent. Maybe we need to check.
1: That's... That's what—not uh, what I've heard. I've heard it's—it's, it's, if not the—it's—it's—it's it's, it's tied maybe with avoidance, but it's we'll certainly near as the as top. But
0: go on. Let's tell our audience what's the uh,
1: yes. what's the yes.
0: DSM criteria. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm. Okay. So, um, and I, I will try to get, go through mm. all eight of those criteria. But there are eight criteria having to do with being overly conscientious, mm. too much attention to work, difficulty mm. in delegating, being rigid and stubborn. Losing the point of the list mm. and the schedules and the rules. I think that there's another way I, I might be able to describe this that might be helpful to our audience. Um, there are actually, as I see it, the four different types of compulsive people. Uh, and they're all overlapping. There are no pure ones. And, but I think this will help people to get a flavor of what it can look like. Um, one is the, um, the leader-teacher. And this can be very positive in that they, they suggest ways to do things, way to look at things, and, and they, they take leadership. If that turns sour, then you've got somebody who's really bossy, domineering, controlling. You get a partner like this, and it, it can be a really tough marriage, okay? So that's one type, and that's the way it manifests, is that they're so controlling that they forget about other people's feelings, and they forget what they're trying to teach and what they're trying to lead for. Uh, The second uh, type of compulsive I would describe as the doer worker. These people at their worst become workaholics and they neglect family and friends and they neglect their own body and they neglect leisure. Um, But this can also be very positive. These people can be very productive. A third type I call the uh, the servant or friend, and these are people who put their perfection and their energy into not disappointing others and to helping others. And, and they're more of a follower. I'm a little reluctant to use that word because it has some connotations I don't want, but I think you get the feeling of it that that their perfectionism goes in to to, to uh, doing what other people might want of them. Again, this can be very great. They're very cooperative. But it can also mean that they become desperate people-pleasers and they lose track of themselves and what they have to offer the world. Fourth type uh, I call the um, the thinker-planner. And um, th- they can be very reflective and helpful that way. But what they can also do is, is they become procrastinators. These are the obsessors as opposed to the doers. And um, they get stuck in their procrastination because everything has to be so perfect. These are all different elements of the compulsive personality. They just emphasize mm. a particular aspect of it.
0: Wow. That's very thorough and thank you. It really having these characterization really helps bring it to life. By the way, I've just checked. <laughs> I, there are two, st- you are absolutely uh-huh. right, and I was wrong. Um, the, the, there is one older study in 20, 2004 that says OCPD is definitely the most prevalent PD with 7.88%. Uh-huh. But I tried to find a more recent one. This one in 2018 that still says OCPD has the uh-huh. highest prevalence at 432 I think the first one was just yeah. American. The second one is across all Western countries. But yeah, God, it's wow. it's it's in in it's in the culture. That's, it's very much in the culture.
1: Well, that's interesting. I'm curious. Do you see it as much? I mean, yeah. you've lived all over the world. Do you see it as much in other cultures? Have you um, noticed a difference in American culture as a opposed to question. Asian cultures?
0: You know, I well, obviously, I am drawing generalization when we talk about cultures and my like cultural observations. I think certain cultures really have traits that encourage that that, traits of OCP is almost fundamental to their culture. So in, in the four types that you describe, because you're a therapist too, which type would you think you see the most?
1: Um, I probably see the doer the most and the, the helper the most.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And obviously there are hybrids between those, but between all of these, but those are the two that I see the most. The ones that, um, that become bossy and authoritarian, it's much harder to get them into therapy because they're absolutely convinced that they know the right way, which by the way is often a characteristic of a CPD or Mm -hmm. any personality disorder is that they're, they're okay with their personality. And it's harder to get them into therapy unless their marriage or the partnership is falling apart. Yeah, yeah. Or they, they might have gotten feedback at their work that they've got to work on something.
0: Absolutely. And it's interesting. I think your conceptualization is similar to mine, that there are almost two subtypes. One is afraid of, not afraid, but weary of vulnerability
2: uh-huh.
0: and expressiveness. And the other one is more about weary of disapproval.
1: Yeah, yes. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I wish I, I could show our, our audience right now how I conceive of this because I conceive of it as a mandala. At the top quadrant is the the the, uh, the leader. At the bottom and diametrically opposed is the 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 servant friend. On the left side of it is the uh, the thinker planner, and the right side is the doer worker. Right. You think of this as a mandala. What we're trying to do is to be in the center of the mandala and integrate all of these in a balanced way.
2: Mm.
1: The further out you are out to any of these parts of the mandala, probably the more severe your OCPD is because you're uh, you're you're just living in one particular way rather than in a rounded way.
0: Yeah. Well, if you have that and you don't mind, if you can send it to me, I can put it on the website and the show yeah. notes and people can access okay. it. Yay. I'll do that. Absolutely. Mm, Do you think there are nature and nurture? How much do you think it's nature? How much do you think it's nurture? What are some of the nature elements that you think may contribute to it? And what are some of the nurture or family or environmental factors that contribute to it?
1: Yeah, well, of course there's a lot of debate about this, but most of the research that I've seen leans toward the side of, of nature. That mm-hmm. is a fair amount of this is based on um, uh, on, on genetics. Yeah. Uh, there was a split twin study in, in Sweden where they're able to, um, uh, it's a longitudinal study where they're able to go back and look at people that have the same genes, exactly, but were raised in different environments. Right. And it does seem to be that the genetic aspect is a larger aspect. Huh. Um, it's is not to say that the family doesn't influence and the environment doesn't influence. But some of the characteristics, in fact, many of the characteristics of OCPD do have genetic sources, perfectionism, mm. meticulousness, mm. energy, attention to detail, determination, the ability to to delay gratification. All of these things do have some genetic basis. Uh, Now, the environmental part is also important. If you have parents that themselves are OCPD or controlling, or they're intrusive, overprotective, chaotic, Mm -hmm. uh, insecure in terms of their attachment, And one other one that I want to make sure I add uh, is that you can also have parents that are so, uh, so praising, you know, and you can do nothing wrong. The child knows that they're not like that. So they're going to feel insecure because they're not living up to how their parents see them. And it it appears that the parents are being very generous, but they feel like they can't live up to this. So that they have to work extra hard to be this person that their parents think they are.
0: Oh, I keep wanting to interject, but yes, this I see a lot because I work with gifted people as well, people with high yep. intelligence. And if they their giftedness was spotted early in their lives, usually there would be, you know, they're the golden boy or girl and it just becomes mm. this pressure just mounts higher and higher and higher. And then on the other side, you also get kids that grew up in disorganized, chaotic families where mm. they had to step up to be a little grown up from a very young age. Yes. they mm-hmm. They are not allowed to miss anything to make any mistakes yeah yeah sometimes a question i ask clients it's very early on is what happens in your house when someone spills the milk <laughs> <That can't laughs>
2: what happens
1: yeah, and uh-huh. you,
0: you you get a flavor absolutely and all you yeah. also get very um you know family that really it's a, a stereotype but you get family that really praises the, the tiger moms yeah <laughs> praises moms. yeah
1: you know, no pair of parents is going to get everything right. Oh, yeah.
2: Absolutely. And
1: I think what we need to do is to come to terms with their limitations. Um, I think an important part of this discussion about um, environment versus n- nature is that there is, well, actually three and four elements, but I want to stress a third element here, mm-hmm. which has to do with the strategy or the coping style that we adapted. To, to to adapt to our parents and our environment. Because mm-hmm. some people rebel and some people comply. Yes,
2: yes, absolutely. And
1: we develop a whole strategy when we're young that becomes such a deep part of us, mm-hmm. um, that part of being able to transform out of this into a healthy compulsive, we need to understand what the coping strategy that we developed was so that we can use it more conscious way.
0: Yes, I completely agree. It's too linear to say A causes B.
1: Yes. It's A
0: plus a million factors plus your natural temperament and the coping styles that you have chosen. And then it creates a personality configuration.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm concerned if, if sometimes people read psychology and they say, oh, you know, parents have an effect on their children, true, but we don't want to leave them feeling that it's a fit to complete, you know, mm-hmm. that they can't grow or move out mm-hmm. of it or even learn from it and have it help with resilience.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I do believe we don't come into this world as blank slate. In fact, there were many studies done about sensitive children. You know, some children are more threat sensitive; they are more weary of strangers. Yeah, uh, yeah. Elaine Aaron's work on highly sensitive, uh, the highly sensitive person talks mm-hmm. about this, and there are many other other earlier research of infant studies that talk about mm-hmm. it. So it's part natural temperament, part nurture. Sometimes yeah. there just isn't a fit.
1: Yeah, exactly. Mm.
0: Uh-huh. Mm, absolutely. So, ah, oh, this is exciting. <laughs> how would, I mean, you have already addressed this, but how, how would you understand the driven personality from a Jungian perspective? Is there something unique that the Jungian sure.
1: perspective offer? Yeah. Well, part of what I love about Jung is he, he asked the question, what is the symptom for? What is the neurosis for? Not just what caused it. You know, did your mother drop you on your head when you were a kid? He said, where is it leading you? What What is it trying to work out? And so I think that in the driven personality, there is a very large uh, quotient share of, of what we call individuation, that uh, people who are driven have... Uh, a lot of this, this instinct in us to grow psychologically, to, to make things, to, uh, to solve problems, uh, to change things. But that deep tendency can get hijacked and there, it can be displaced onto, onto less important, uh, external things. And it's, we often lose the fact that part of what that the whole individuation thing is about is about development of the personality. And I think we have a very large share of this, those of us who are driven. Um, and that if we can become aware of that instinct to develop ourselves, then all those energies can start to come into focus in a much more productive way.
0: So what makes a Jungian way of working with compulsivity different to other ways like CBT or the ROBBT that we've mentioned earlier?
1: Okay. Um, well, I'm not trained as a CBT person or RODBT, but my sense is that one of the most important things about Jungian work is that we see the unconscious as an ally in the process. Mm,
0: oh, I
1: love that. It's a source of wisdom and it's a, a source uh, of, um, of, of growth and development. Um, and inspiration. If we see the unconscious just as a storehouse of repressed memories, there's an antagonistic relationship up with it. But if we understand it to be uh, the source uh, of great wisdom and energy and, and direction, then we look towards it to align and to align ourselves with it. Uh, so for instance, sessions are going to be much less structured than DBT. Or, I'm or guessing
0: is, people with OCPD do not like that. No structure, uh, no instruction, yes. no rules. You yes. can't get it right or wrong. Mostly you can't get it right. So
1: yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah.
0: not thinking they like it, but maybe that's exactly what they need.
1: Yeah. Well, this is one of the reasons why I wrote my first book, uh, w- w- which is called, I'm working on in therapy, how to get the most out of psychotherapy. I'd love
0: to talk to you about that. Yes. Yeah.
1: Because psychodynamic work, as as Jungian work is, is less structured. And um, it, we don't always know what to do with that lack of structure. And I'm afraid that as therapists, dynamic therapists, we don't always explain to our clients how this works. Mm-hmm. Um and so you're right, it can be a little disorienting for people who are driven, who have uh, compulsive tendencies. And I often have learned that I need to say, okay, here's what we're working on, and here's how we're doing it. But the difference in Jungian work is that I will try to orient them to the unconscious as a source of wisdom. Um, and, and so here again, the, structure, the sessions are less structured. There is probably... Some emphasis on dreams, I do find that a lot of compulsives don't remember the dreams because they're so focused on, on doing things in the outside world. Uh, but it's that shift from outer work to inner work that we're trying to achieve through Jungian analysis, which I think is different. It's less about, oh, I'd say compliance, uh, but it's more about... Uh, being able to connect with that source of direction inside.
2: Yeah, well, that's very powerful. And how empowering it is that because I think a lot of people with compulsivity or addictive behaviors they see something in themselves as their enemies. It's like I have this yeah. monster inside yes. of me that is doing things that I don't like. But what you're saying is all parts inside us, no matter what they're doing, are all our allies. We may not understand why it's looking like that. But ultimately they are trying to help and there is a source there is some internal wisdom that we can ultimately fall back on yes and perhaps well our said. job yeah. this is really just a little nudge you know a bit of a guidance but ultimately they really have this limitless inner source that they can fall back on which taps into something universal
1: yeah uh, archetypes yeah. so some of these inner parts of us are uh, our individual versions of something that's much more universal. Mm -hmm. Uh, It could be the judge or it could be the hero, which you might want to talk about in a minute. Yes, please. Uh, uh, But before I get to that, uh, as you were saying, we want to be able to uh, relate to these inner parts in a healthier Mm -hmm. way. Jung developed a method called active imagination in which we actually have a dialogue with these inner characters might be a character we meet in a dream, a character that just comes into our mind through fantasy, we can neither even dialogue with a mood, Uh, but the idea is to develop that relationship, and in the process, that character will probably transform and become more adaptive and helpful. I mean, think of a dream where you're being chased by a monster. You turn around and face it, It's a good chance that monster is going to become uh, much more of a, um, a, a, a helpful aspect of you. It's like how to tame your dragon, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, like that, that film where the, the boy helps to heal this dragon yeah. and it becomes his ally.
2: That reminds me of that quote from um, Raina Maria Rilke. Perhaps all the dragons in our lives are princesses who are only waiting to see us act just once with beauty and courage. Perhaps everything that frightens us is in its deepest essence something helpless that wants our love. Isn't that beautiful? That's That's like my favorite quote. I remember having it um, printed on my name card when I first started out as a therapist. Yeah. what, what, what are we talking about? So
1: we're talking about the archetype of the hero, which I really want to hear about. Right. Sure. Yeah. Well, since I am a Jungian analyst and I've been working on this issue of the compulsive personality for a long time, it often I have to wondered, well, what archetype underlies the compulsive personality? And eventually I realized that it's the archetype of the hero. If you look at the characteristics of the hero, this uh, this determination to do the impossible, this determination to be unflappable, to do the right thing, to be mm-hmm. conscientious, and all this energy that's so characteristic of the hero, those are the things that people with OCPD aspire to. Whether they actually live it out in a heroic way is a different question, but that seems to be the archetype at the root of it. Now, one can become a heroic compulsive or one can become compulsively heroic. The difference is if you're heroically compulsive, then you're mindful about how you use your hero energy. If you're compulsively heroic, you're just out there jumping into fires and trying to rescue people and doing crazy things and working 30 hours a day. That's compulsively heroic. That's not heroically compulsive. So again, it's that theme of whether you're going to be healthy in this role and use your, your skills and your tendencies in a constructive way or whether they're going to drive you. That's
2: just good. That's just beautiful. Ah, I feel quite full already with mm-hmm. um, what we're addressing. um you talk about the difference between addressing the symptoms versus healing the personality configuration, and you talk right. about the many phases clients bring into therapy. Can you uh-huh. talk a bit more about that?
1: I'm sorry, you said the phases of work in, in therapy.
2: Mm, sure. I think you have it in your another book, uh, mm-hmm. how the clients use it. Yeah. And actually to be more precise, you said to understand our psyche, we can map it up into three main parts. Okay. The child, which is the needs mm-hmm. and desires, the parents, which are the shoulds, F-H-O-U-B, mm-hmm. the O-U-L-B, shoots), and the adults. Can yeah. you expand on that? Because it feels like such a valuable and unique model.
1: Sure. Uh, I was borrowing from transactional analysis, Ah, which is a a way of a type of therapy developed, I think, late 60s, early 70s, in in which they understand the the personality in these three main parts, Mm -hmm. uh, the parent, adult and child. Now, these are very similar to to Freud's um, uh, superego, ego and id, the id being the childish energy, the ego being the adult and the superego being the parent with its shoulds. Mm. And uh, I, I think it's it's a relatively simple way of understanding the personality. There are lots of other personality parts, but just starting with this and applying it to the compulsive personality. In the compulsive personality, we like to think that we're driving our car, but it's really the parental shoulds, the superego that's always driving the car. And the child is locked up in the trunk. Mm. Part of the work is to be able to engage the child Uh, in dreams of compulsives. you'll often see dreams of of neglected children that need attention, that want desperately to play. We need to get them out of the, the trunk, say, what do you need from me? We can't go have ice cream every day and we can't spend all day at the playground, but we can have ice cream once a week and go to the playground five times a week, you know? That voice that I was just using is what we might refer to as a, as a healthy ego or the adult voice. Mm-hmm. The, the adult voice realized that it should not be too severe with the child, that the shoulds are important, but they can't be running the show the whole time. Uh, uh, these are, in, in a way, versions of archetypes. There are lots of other archetypes that are involved with this, uh, with the compulsive personality, including the judge, the hero, as we said before, yeah. um, the rescuer, um, mm-hmm. sometimes priest uh, or prophet. Uh, it reminds me of the people, deck of are, peril. Yes, exactly. I, I draw from that sometimes because those describe a lot of the archetypes that we see and encounter in ourselves and in other people.
2: Mm-hmm do you still enjoy doing this work
1: oh sure i do it's very challenging very rewarding Mm -hmm. um you can never stop learning and it's very gratifying to see people change
2: and you attract mostly clients who struggle with ocpb nowadays um
1: it seems to be getting that way more Mm -hmm. because of my book and my blog um And I think originally it kind of started that way, partially because I work in Midtown Manhattan, and Manhattan is just a magnet for people who are driven, whether it be um, attorneys, CEOs, people in finance, uh, but also um, uh, artistic directors, you know, Mm. people who have a drive to get their creativity out there. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful.
2: I think one final thing we might have missed, and I just want to piggyback to make sure we covered it before we finish. What do you think of the media's portrayal of OCD? And many people confuse OCD with OCPV. Uh What do you think are the difference? I mean, there are legitimate differences, but can you say a bit more so our audience are clear about it?
1: Sure. Uh, Too often, I I think they kind of merge the two. Uh, mm -hmm. If you think of Jack Nicholson in the film As Good As It Gets, Mm -hmm. um, he's actually uh, uh, a mishmash of the two. On the one hand, he plays this character who is extraordinarily condescending to other people, treats other people very badly, is very isolated. The other hand, he's clearly got OCD. D, he has to use plastic utensils when he goes to a restaurant. He can't step on a crack, mm-hmm. and all these very specific obsessions and compulsions, mm-hmm. and they merge the two together. Um, it, it's unfortunately misleading because while OCD and OCPD do often occur together, there are a lot of differences between the two that I'd like to talk about for a moment to to get clear. First of all, OCD is an anxiety disorder. OCPD is a personality disorder. Yes. It affects the entire personality in a much deeper, profound way. Mm-hmm. People with OCD don't like their symptoms. People with OCPD are proud of their personality at the far end of the unhealthy spectrum of it. Okay, People with OCD have very specific obsessions and compulsions, whereas people with OCPD it affects the entire uh, personality. Um people with OCD don't necessarily repress their emotions. People with OCPD will repress their emotions and they delay gratification. So I, I could go on about these two differences. It's I, I very have good, you. it's
2: very good, keep going.
1: Yeah, well, people with OCD will seek treatment for themselves.
2: Yeah.
1: People who are at the far end of the OCPD spectrum, the unhealthy ones, usually will not seek treatment unless they're forced to by Mm -hmm. a partner or a job. Mm -hmm. Um, OCPD traits can be adaptive. You know, you can get a lot of work done. You can be very good at what you do because of it. Most OCD traits are not adaptive except perhaps hygiene. Um, People who have OCPD spend their time working on projects and planning. People with OCD spend their time on their rituals, you know, like they're always cleaning. They're they're always trying to make things order in order. Now, people, OCBDs do that sometimes, but they're much more focused on larger projects and work. Um, so there's to me a very different feel between the two. OCD has, to me, an even more genetic biological aspect to it, tends to respond better to medication and CBT, whereas OCPD, as I understand it, responds better to a dynamic uh, way of working uh, as opposed to medication or CBT. Now, having said that, I've worked with people who had OCD Didn't necessarily focus on it, but it remitted over time, even though we were doing a deeper form of work.
2: Wow. That is very thorough and very clear.
1: Well, uh, it's really a shame because many people are misdiagnosed with OCD for years and treated with medication or CBT when what they really needed was a more dynamic form. Absolutely, I don't want to make too many generalizations because uh, I think when we practice, whether we say we're an OCD, I'm sorry, um, a a CBT therapist or dynamic therapist, we both borrow from the other side, you know? And I think there's a a lot of um, uh, overlap between the two, but it, it... I am concerned when people are misdiagnosed and not, they don't get the proper treatment for that
2: diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And my understanding also is these guys, they need something relational. They need a corrective experience that is felt in their yeah. body, rather than learning a set of skills, a set of practice to do, which they will try to do it perfectly.
1: <laughs> yes. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which uh, brings me to a point that I do want to emphasize on all of this that. People take this healthy water of the compulsive or driven personality and it gets frozen when they don't feel secure, mm-hmm. when they don't feel like they are enough somehow and they have mm-hmm. to prove themselves. And I think that a dynamic work is more likely to reach that, which is not to say that CBT therapists don't develop relationships with their clients. I have a feeling that many of them do. Um, But I think often the deeper work with the unconscious, that has to do with unconscious conflicts, which is the way psychodynamic work began. Um, It it addresses those unconscious conflicts that are going on inside of these people all the time, but between the child and the parent, you know, between on the one hand, wanting to do everything perfectly, but then the other part of them that's left out, like, I just want to have fun, you know, but it's in the trunk that we don't get to meet it. It, it's, a, it's a shame, I think, for many people who have compulsive personality, especially bad OCPD, they have a really hard time relaxing and enjoying life. They go on vacation, and they've got to make it the most perfect vacation. And if things don't go exactly to plan, it ruins the whole vacation for them, which is really sad because they need it.
2: I know. Uh, well, on that note... Let's, let's end on something more positive. Okay. What is your definition of resilience,
1: Gary? Uh, the way I see resilience, it's the capacity to use adversity mm. in the service of one's personal growth. You know, you might have heard of the, the philosopher's stone. This is the an alchemy. It's the substance that can turn lead into gold. Yes. And the capacity for resilience to... To use the uh, the difficult situations in our lives as opportunity for growth is what can um, it can change our lives by always looking at things through that lens a, the last chapter of my book on therapy um, I'm working on therapy is all about going into the fire of developing resilience uh, it's possible to spend too much time in the fire uh, but if we have that perspective of how can I use this in terms of my psychological growth? That changes things a lot.
2: Thank you. Finally, can you share with us a book or a quote that has changed your life?
1: Um, I think the book that changed my life the most was The Inner Game of Tennis by Timothy Galway. I read this when I was uh, was probably 18. Uh, Timothy Galway was... um, Uh, a a, a great tennis player. And he was in the junior national championships Mm -hmm. and he was about to win. It was match point and he missed an easy shot. And so he went on a quest to find out what happened and why he missed it. Mm -hmm. And he got into Zen and he realized that he wasn't trusting himself as to how he played. And this is the thing that I, I think helped me to uh, to understand psyche in general, to be able to trust something inside of me that will guide me. So when, when I go to hit a shot, and I love play tennis, uh, if I'm worried about how my elbow is bent and the angle of my racket, I, I'm going to miss the shot. If I trust myself and I think, where does the ball need to go? I'm much more likely to hit the ball where it needs to go. So it's all about trusting something inside, which is very much aligned with Jung's whole approach to psyche. So and it's the so inner game hard. of tennis. And,
2: and and that trust has been beaten out of us by so many factors.
1: Many yes. Of us.
2: Yeah. It would be yeah. so much more powerful. We will, we will be so much more powerful and resilient in the world if we can reclaim that trust in our inner, inner yeah. animal. Yes.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah.
2: Oh, well, thank you so much for all your inputs. I have really appreciated it. I love your energy. I love your wisdom. And I like your angle on things. I feel like we can chat more and more
1: um, yes. about
2: this. And thank you so much for agreeing to come.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me. I've enjoyed our discussion.
0: Hey, thank you so much for tuning in. For more, please head to com. There you will find more stories, articles, and resources for people just like me and you. Bye now!
2: Keep putting one foot in front of the other Moving forwards, never looking back Just one more foot in front of all those countless others And we're there Jen